Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. Pastor Sarah Olson-Smith, and I'm so grateful to be with you on this podcast today. The Bible, as you may know, is generally divided into two halves, often called the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament, written in Greek, has the Gospels, which tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And a big chunk of the New Testament is made up of letters actual letters that were written by religious leaders, Paul and Peter, John and others, letters written to communities of the earliest followers of Jesus. They were written to a particular group of people for a particular purpose, to teach or encourage or discipline or all of the above and more. 
Those letters were never intended at first to be saved and to become scripture as we know it. And yet those letters, written for a particular time and place and community, still speak to us in this time and place. They continue to encourage and teach and discipline, even though these days are so different from 2,000 years ago when they were first written. These letters matter to us and ground and direct our lives of faith, even today, because of the ways the Holy Spirit continues to speak through those words and because they still teach us about Jesus and what it means to follow him. And so today, we are going to read a part of one of those letters, 1 Peter chapter 2, a letter written by Peter to a community that faced persecution to teach them how to live faithfully, to offer hope and encouragement. As you listen to these words, listen to them as though they were a letter written to you, by a pastor or teacher in faith. Here they are, these words from 1 Peter chapter 2. Come to Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This honor, then, is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And here is my sermon on those beautiful words from First Peter. I'm not sure what brought you to worship this morning. Perhaps it was uh, the knowledge that there'd be beautiful music to sing and people to sing with. Maybe it was these two beautiful baby boys who brought you here and the goodness of the blessing they already are to this world. Perhaps it's some donuts or some learning, some laughter. But I doubt that you came to worship this morning looking for some building advice. (laughs) And yet, nonetheless, that is what we are given today in those words from 1 Peter, where 1 Peter writes, the writer of this letter, Peter writes, "'Come to Jesus, a living stone.'" rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Whenever I hear those words from 1 Peter, I think about houses that are all over the farmland in central Pennsylvania where my husband grew up. Houses a little bit like this one. This house is called the Chad House. It was built in 1712. 
And all over, throughout farmlands of the U.S. and the world, there are these houses that are literally built from stones, field stones. These stones start out of, as a sort of nuisance for farmers who are trying to plow their fields and yet come upon these great big stones. And so they are dug up from the soil, and instead of casting them off or piling them up, those early farmers would use them to create strong and warm houses, homes that would endure for centuries. What I love about these field stone houses is the creativity and the strength and the beauty of them. Those builders didn't have the luxury of perfectly flat or square or uniform bricks. So they take whatever stones they had and they piece them and fit them together. The writer of 1 Peter might not have known about field stone houses, but he knew about how God so often takes things that are disregarded and makes them into something beautiful and strong. Peter wrote those words we just heard to a community that was rejected and persecuted because of their faith, and yet they still boldly lived that faith These words we read are meant to give them hope and belonging, courage and purpose in the midst of suffering. These days, we don't live in a time when we have to abandon home or family or fortune in order to follow Jesus as Peter's community did, nor do we in this country face persecution because of our faith. But Peter's words can be hope and encouragement for us too in whatever struggles or suffering we are facing. And I think those field stones and the houses they were built into can help us understand this message of hope and encouragement. Those field stones were first found buried and stuck in the mud and the muck until the farmer found them. And maybe that's where you might find yourself today or have in the past, or well, sometime in the future, stuck in the muck, buried in something or another. Maybe we're stuck in our own guilt or shame. Maybe we're sunk by sorrow or grief or the burdens we carry of caretaking. Maybe we're just so caught up in our own lives and demands and expectations that we can't seem to get a breath. For lots of reasons, we might find ourselves buried. But these days are still Easter days, days of resurrection and new life, beginnings and possibilities. And in that reading, we read that we were once no people, but now we are God's people. That we are a chosen people, called out of darkness into the marvelous light. This is what God does, digs us out of the darkness into marvelous light. And that marvelous light takes on all kinds of different forms. Maybe it's the goodness of freedom that comes when we can live into our forgiveness, when we can let go of those old debts and guilt and shame. It's the miraculous feeling of discovery that we can still laugh and live even as death has wreaked havoc in our lives. 
It's that ability to finally take a deep breath after we've been holding it so long because of worry or fear or despair. It's that finally stepping forward after long being held back. That rock being dug out of the soil, built into something beautiful and strong. So you might be thinking, what brings us from being dead and buried rocks into living animated stones? Well, those words from Peter remind us that God brings us into marvelous lights in all kinds of different ways. And the first thing that God does is God pulls us into community. We are not alone. In that letter, Paul tells us that, uh, Paul tells that community that they are living stones, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. We are not alone. And we are together in all of our beautiful differences. We are living stones, not dead bricks. Our belonging isn't dependent on our ability to match or be uniform in thought or background or zip code or experience or anything else. Each of us brings our unique selves into this life together as varied as the sizes and colors of stones in a field stone house. And somehow this combination of all of who we are is exactly what God needs to build us into this house. We don't have to be molded into some sort of fixed sameness. And yet, here we are, built together. The grace of this is that when we think, or perhaps others think, that the rock in which we are, the walk that we are, is awkward or nuisance or trouble or trash, that it's better to let that rock sit in a pile of rubble Jesus has a whole different kind of opinion. In Christ, we are as precious as that enormous diamond on King Charles' crown. We are precious. Once we were rejected, and now we are accepted, chosen, affirmed. In the midst of our struggle, our faith teaches us that not only are we valuable beyond worth in the eyes of God, but that we belong to something bigger than us, bigger than our struggles and our worries. Each one of us matter, and the structure of our whole depends on each one of those stones. But Peter doesn't just stop at this beautiful image of a house of living stones. That house was built for a purpose. He said, you are chosen people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of God. In that letter, Peter wrote that even in the midst of persecution, they are proclaimers of God's goodness. In the ways that they live and work and witness, their lives tell of Jesus. And so one of the ways that we can get unstuck from the muck of our lives is to find a way to serve, to love, to get our heads and our hearts out of our own insular lives. There's this recent study of high school girls, girls who struggled with depression. And in that study, they would ask girls every day how their day was, they'd track their mood. And they'd also ask them one simple question, have you helped someone today? And in that study, they found 
that on the days when those girls showed up for a friend, did something for someone else, their moods shifted significantly, improved greatly. There are countless similar studies along with my own experiences and seeing your own lives which tell this truth. When we get out of ourselves, our own tiny circles or our own insular way of thinking will not only make a difference for others, but will find our own healing and hope in the meantime. We can find new life when we let this great divine stonemason God of ours build us and our lives into animated, moving lives of love, living stones, not dead bricks. One of my friends when I worked at this camp in Colorado was this kid named Alan Lamb. I worked with him for one summer. He was funny and mischievous, deeply kind, so gentle. And it wasn't until later in the summer that he told us the story of his own life and family. Alan's mom is a woman named Cindy Lamb, and one morning, Years ago, in November of 1979, she and her baby daughter were on their way to get groceries in Maryland, and as they drove, they were hit by a drunk driver. She was thrown from her car with many broken bones, and her five-month-old daughter, Laura, Alan's sister, was left quadriplegic. By age seven, she had a seizure and died of complications from her injuries from that crash. Cindy Lamb didn't let her grief or her anger bury her. Instead, it motivated and moved her. She started to write letters from her Maryland home, making phone calls and doing whatever she could to make laws against drunk driving less lenient, to shift public thinking. And eventually, she was connected with this woman in California named Candy Leitner, and together they founded an organization that we all know Mothers Against Drunk Driving. They have 2.8 million members around the world claiming responsibility of lowering drunk driving deaths, saving 250,000 lives at least. My friend Alan didn't talk much about his family or his grief or how they had changed this world. But he too lived with such a generous heart and a serving life, following his mom in this way of being called out of darkness into the light. Those families built this collective movement, a stone house of sorts, letting their grief and anger move them to be a force for good. We see the same thing happening now still, the bold actions of parents of children from Sandy Hook who work for common sense gun reform or communities of veterans who despite their own trauma and injuries come together to support and care for their younger comrades. And while you and I will likely not start international movements and our tragedies might seem so much smaller, God keeps doing what God did in Cindy Lamb and that community that, to which First Peter wrote that letter. God keeps doing what God has always done, bringing life to dead things offering hope to despairing communities, using once buried people to heal this broken world, calling us out of darkness into light 
and life and love. We can be, we are, living stones, dug out of the muck and built into a shelter for others, a community of care. We are a chosen race, a holy people, in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of God who has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Amen. Now we turn to God in prayer, saying these words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And hear these words of blessing for you. The God of all, who raised Jesus from the dead, bless you by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a living stone, built up to proclaim the mighty acts of God, who called you from darkness into the marvelous light. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.